Good morning, it's Liz, and today I am doing a solo episode. Jenny and I are taking a little sort of spring break week for ourselves from the research involved with our season two series of deconstructing difficult Bible passages and concepts, and we just finished up our hell series, which was so amazing to research and to talk about. I hope you can check it out if you haven't had a chance to yet. We've got three episodes on that. And anyway, today I just wanted to talk about something that's really important to me personally. It, it kind of came to the forefront of my mind again this week because I ran across an article by Mama Bear Apologetics talking about the dangers of deconstruction and, you know, why we need to persuade people to not engage with it if we're Christians. And I really had a strong reaction. And initially when I sat to record this episode, it was kind of like this hostile tone. And I had all this research I had done on some of their claims about postmodernism and how that intersects with deconstruction. And I just want to take a step back, actually, and talk about this from a more relational level. If you go to the show notes, you can still find the research I did on the origins of deconstruction from a philosophical standpoint, how that intersects with postmodernism, why I don't think that is something we need to look at and then immediately get freaked out about. As Christians, that's something we do. I think we see postmodernism and we say, oh, no, 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 run, run completely in the opposite direction. I do not hold many of the tenets of postmodernism. I actually would, would say I don't agree with most of them, but I think postmodernism present an opportunity for humility that we kind of have lost, especially in evangelicalism, especially concerning certainty and concerning the authority we think we have on ultimate truth. And anyway, that's kind of a tangent for another day. But today, I wanted to talk about deconstruction and why I think it's a good thing for Christianity and for the church. And I thought of the title, An Apologist Defends Deconstruction, because so often apologists are known for defending Christianity. And many of you know, but some of you don't, I am actually a trained apologist. And by trained, I mean I have my master's degree in Christian apologetics. It's something that has been very important in my faith journey, apologetics. And it's something that I think is such a powerful tool and a powerful means of connection to those with different beliefs. But I come at apologetics from a slightly different angle than most apologists I have met. Before we get into that more, let's take a step back. How has the evangelical world approached deconstruction? So Matt Chandler has criticized deconstruction, calling it some sort of sexy thing to do now among people. And John Cooper famously has waged war on deconstruction. He doesn't even want to call it Christian. He believes it's a false religion. And there are so many other voices, right, who have spoken out against deconstruction as something dangerous. Alisa Childers is one. Mama Bear Apologetics is one of them. And it's funny, when talking about these particular ladies, I, I have kind of a, a strange kind of kinship with them. And I think that's because, you know, we are all mothers. We are all women in theology. We all love apologetics. But we differ, and I suppose I differ from them in the same way I differ from other Christian apologists, and that has to do with where we draw the line of using our knowledge, of using the tools that apologetics provides us. So, from what I gather, Mama Bear Apologetics, 
and many like them, would say that the point of apologetics is to defend Christianity, to which I agree. But I would also add that apologetics should be used to defend and to examine Christianity, especially today when things are being reopened, reinvestigated by those who deconstruct. Here is where Mama Bear apologetics would draw their line. They will critique aspects of secular belief and worldviews, and they will critique various beliefs and worldviews falling under the Christian umbrella, although they personally wouldn't believe all of these beliefs actually qualify as Christian. But they will not critique or examine the tenets of the traditional evangelical belief system. And I, I just want to put in a little caveat. I have not read all of Mama Bear Apologetics, the book. I have read parts of it and I have read articles by them. So it's possible I have missed some things. But from what I have seen, you know, the, the, the line in the sand is drawn and there's a spot where they will not reopen the case, so to speak, of whether or not something is true. The problem with lines in the sand is because that becomes the standard. Everything before the line becomes a standard for judging everything after the line. So if there happens to be a faulty belief or something untrue, that carries over into how we examine what's on the other side of the line. Atheism has been a strong counterpoint in my faith journey. I want to be, I want to be transparent about that. I was an atheist for a while, and I still find many of its stances quite compelling, although I ultimately have landed as a Christian. Atheism, for example, raises a lot of legitimate points that Mama Bear Apologetics and those like them unsatisfactorily answer because they won't allow themselves to dissect what they've already decided to be true. So when it comes to engaging with apologetics, I would differ from them and others like them in that nothing is off the table for critique. If something is true, it is of God. And if it isn't, it isn't of God. And if what I've been taught about God is not true, I want to know, even if it's the fact that God is not true, I would want to know. I wouldn't want to continue living in a lie. That means anyone who can shed light on the truth, no matter what position they're coming from, is actually an ally in this pursuit. It's really as simple as that to me. So why would I be threatened or scared to even look at the things I hold closest to me? If we ignore the voices of reason, and if we ignore the experiences of people telling us that Christianity, as it has traditionally been taught to us, may contain falsehoods, are we really being God-honoring to refuse to look into that? We all have our biases. This is undeniable, and I am not exempt. However, this distinct bias difference between what you will and will not examine concerning Christianity makes a big difference in how I experience apologetics compared to other apologists. In my experience, for apologists that have already decided a position is true before investigating it, once they find a couple of logical arguments to support and defend their position, they generally stop investigating it. It's case closed. But see, that's a problem because often there are plenty of counter arguments that really keep that case open if we are honest enough to keep asking. It's not that I have never done this, the closing of the case too quickly, or that I will never do this. That is part of human nature. We can't constantly just be asking questions. At some point, we have to take what we believe to be true and get up and live our lives. But when it comes to Christianity, 
I believe there's too much on the line to stop where we have stopped when it comes to investigating. I believe we have to deeply engage and consider the voices of those opposite of our own beliefs here. Because truth matters more than doctrine. Truth matters more than tradition. Truth matters more than Christianity. And I would follow it out of Christianity if necessary. I understand most apologists that I've run into at least would say maybe this defeats the purpose of apologetics, which is to defend the faith. And that is why traditional apologists are losing so much credibility with people outside of the Christian faith. I do not think this position contradicts Christ at all. I think it actually glorifies him as the way, the truth, and the life. So we may hope that traditional Christian tenets stand up to scrutiny. We may even expect them to, but we must be willing to investigate even those beliefs we hold most dear, especially those beliefs. This is where deconstruction comes in. This is exactly what deconstruction is about for so many people. Now, I do want to take a moment because I linked two Mama Bear Apologetics articles. The first one was where they spoke with Elisa Childers, and she makes some very broad statements about deconstruction, some of which are true, but many of which are really just stereotypes that evangelicals often have of the deconstruction community, which are frankly just false. So I, I, I put that in the show notes so you can check it out if you would like. But another article I linked by them really gets into the weeds about the philosophy of textual deconstruction by Jacques Derrida. And in this article, they say that those in faith deconstruction are changing the word deconstruction to mean something different than its original meaning and Christianity shouldn't have to accept that. I could talk about that. I could talk about the philosophy. And in fact, when I initially sat down to do this, I did talk a lot about that and the intersection of that philosophy with the actual practice of faith deconstruction and how it's the same and how it differs. Those notes are still in the show notes. But this whole discussion about postmodernism and and how it's influencing people's questions, it's a red herring. Call the process deconstruction. Call it faith examination. Call it Willy Wonka. It doesn't matter. The process people are going through is a valid one, whatever you want to call it, because they are trying to see if what they have been taught about God is true. Mama Bear Apologetics also says that those in deconstruction need to stop calling themselves reformers or identifying with those in history who went through a very similar process and who we as Christians honor for it. They say this is not reformation. This is destroying Christianity. But in my opinion, their opinion is unwarranted. Many of the reformers were re-examining beliefs. Many were called heretics. Many were not part of the majority of Christians at one time or another. Many were called not Christian by others. Discouraging people from investigating, telling them they aren't Christian if they deconstruct, and ultimately not being willing to consider if we got some things wrong is dangerous and it's ungodly. If we as Christians really do have access to ultimate truth, then people searching for truth should not threaten us. We should welcome them with open arms deeply engage with their questions and be humble enough to actually ask with them, not just think about their questions in order to prove them wrong. 
I think that the church is spending so much time finding enemies in the deconstruction world and thinking that's where the battle is at, that we don't realize the reason deconstruction is happening in large part is because we so discourage any sort of analytical thinking concerning the faith and concerning its practices. In the article I linked by Mama Bear Apologetics, they have a quote. They say, be a struggling Christian. Be a questioning Christian. Be a wounded sheep if that's what you are. But when you start marching under the identity deconstructing Christian, you are taking on all the weighted baggage that comes with that word. It would be like saying, I'm a wolf. And by wolf, I mean I'm a struggling Christian who needs care and compassion. Just because you have changed the definition doesn't mean that everyone else is now required to use a different word to denounce wolves. In this paragraph... There are so many examples of why evangelicals are missing, completely just missing what is going on here. They're choosing to pick at the definition of deconstruction and say that the community is not using it correctly. And it's, as I've said before, a red herring to really go down that path. But there's also something subtle in here that I think is at the core of why the church has failed, even though they're completely unaware of it often. They tie struggling Christian with questioning Christian. Those two things are lumped together as if they're the same thing. Let me be clear, questioning is not the same thing as struggling. I believe we should have been questioning long before we were struggling with our faith. Spiritual formation should allow for rational, critical thinking. It shouldn't be shut down when someone asks, wait, is the Bible really inerrant? Why do you say that? Why do you trust it? Who even picked the Bible? We go into history, yes. We go into science somewhat when it fits our viewpoint. But predominantly, we say just have faith. Have faith God is good, have faith this is true, have faith it's all going to work out, and that these things are wrong and these things are right, even if it doesn't feel that way. We should not have been doing that. So now, when people are being brave and bold enough to ask the questions we all should have been asking before we were struggling in our faith, it's a big explosion for a lot of people. It is a faith crisis. And we sit there, often dumbfounded as a church, not sure what to do, not sure how to engage. The answers that we have to their questions don't satisfy so often. And do you know why? It's because we have not permitted ourselves to ask the obvious questions along the way because we saw that as having a lack of faith when in fact that was the key to a mature faith. So what do we do? We turn and point fingers at the questioners, saying they are doing it wrong. And it doesn't bring them back into the flock. It pushes them farther away. So yes, I believe deconstruction is a good thing. And we should, quote unquote, reopen some of these cases that we've been told have been closed by others in church history who have gone before. Some apologists and theologians will argue that deconstructionists, such as me, think we know more than those who have been around during the thousands of years of church history. And to me, that's such a strange thing to say, because people such as me are part of church history. It's not like it's, it's me versus church history. I, I am in that line. 
I am certainly not smarter than others in church history, but I do have a vantage point at this time and place in history that those who went before me didn't. I can look back along with you and see the schisms, see the disagreements, the ebb and flow of how our beliefs formed and were shaped and how they have changed. I have tools of reason and psychology and science that other figures in church history did not have access to. It is precisely my and your responsibility to use these tools well concerning Christianity as it is our turn to carry the torch in church history. What that doesn't mean is using those tools to only defend, defend, defend the views we have already decided are true. These tools can help us weed out where we've gotten it wrong in the past. And God forbid we be so arrogant to think even those great minds that went before us could have never gotten something wrong along the way. Let's use apologetics to enter the discussion of what truth is, not to dominate it. Deconstruction is not the enemy of Christianity. It will cause division. It will cause chaos in some places. This is because it is a refining fire. But it will also make the church more intellectually honest, responsible, and institutionally safe. If the church can see it as an opportunity. I want to finish up our chat today by reading the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. I know many of our listeners hold the scripture in high regard, as do I. And I just want to remind us of this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Those in deconstruction often feel deeply all of these qualities that Jesus says is blessed as do those who defend traditional evangelical Christian positions. That's one of the crazy things I found with all the interviews I've had, all the people I've talked with who are passionate about deconstruction on either end of the spectrum who are passionate for it or passionate against it. The reason for the passion is actually the same. A desire to honor truth, to treat people well, and to think of God properly. So let's use our questions, our knowledge, our convictions to work together. Church, let's not wage war on deconstruction. Let's take time to humbly and honestly welcome it into our midst as a holy disturbance because the truth is we can't actually keep it out of our midst. So are we going to keep fighting that battle or take a step back and see what really needs to be done? If all truth is God's truth, like we say we believe, let's not be afraid to find it, even in unconventional places. We could really take a whole lot longer of an episode to get into what this looks like practically. And there's so many beautiful steps forward I think we could make. So maybe we should have that episode someday. But for today, I just want to leave you with this. Deconstruction is not the enemy of the church, but... We can make it our enemy. 
I am asking as a Christian, as an apologist, that we do not make it our enemy. I'm a Christian still, but I'm mostly a Christian in spite of evangelicalism's responses to my questions, not because of them. I'm not alone in questioning. Deconstruction is happening and it's going to change Christianity. It is inevitable, but change isn't always bad, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts. Concerning deconstruction, what we do now, I believe will affect church history, even for centuries after us. So church, we need to stop being afraid of those who question if we have the truth, if those who question if our practices are actually good. Because if we have something good and true, it will stand up to scrutiny. And if it doesn't, we need to be brave enough to let it go. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.